It's been said that those who do not learn the lesson of history are bound to repeat them. And I want to look at today the story of Noah. We went to Kentucky. It was a six-hour drive to see the Ark Encounter. That Ark is the length of a football field. It is three stories high. In fact, as we were going there, we saw it you know, out on a hillside. I said, look, there it is as we were driving there. It is well worth the uh, ticket, about $40 a ticket. I, w I wish we had a church bus that we could take everyone to see this. Oh, so nice. <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? No. <laughs> uh, I keep trying to hit the lottery so I can buy that, by the way. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that is a, and, and to see it, to comprehend, it's an educational adventure. To comprehend it, you would need to spend all day. I had to, we had to get back. We spent about three hours and had to get back to something I had to do in the evening. So I didn't have enough time to really see it. But to sit, to go through it and read everything, you're talking a good day to do that. Maybe two days. Ken Ham built this ark. Uh, the cost was a hundred million. Not, not bad. No, just kidding. <laughs> It had a powerful impact on me, and the reason is, I am a, what they call a kinesthetic learner. That's where people learn by carrying out physical, you know, activities, activities instead of just being lectured to. I don't get much out of, I didn't do that very well in school, just being lectured to. I have to have hands-on and, you know, experience. And it's one thing to read about Noah and the Ark. It's a whole different thing to walk through it and experience as in some of the pictures that you just saw in the video. You know, when you first walk in, you, they have the sound of rain and thunder beating on, you know, the ark. If they could have made that one room, the, the floor sway a little bit, it would have really been great. <laughs> but it was like, you know, it was like you were there and you start thinking, suppose I would, you know, and you go back in your mind and think, what was it like? Just a powerful experience. <clears throat> and like I said, one of the things that touched me the most was the door. The one door. I mean, you think about, okay, first of all, it depicted God's judgment upon sinning mankind. And but then God's graciousness in that Noah and his family were saved. And like I said, they had to go through a door, and Jesus said, I am the door. In Hebrews 11 and verse 7, it says this. Hebrews 11 and verse 7. How much time do y'all need? <laughs> All right, thumbs up. <laughs> By faith, Noah being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, moved with fear, prepared an ark, to the saving of his house by faith. You know, I think sometimes it's hard to live by faith. You know, Noah worked on this ark, I believe, at least a hundred years. He was around 500, I think, when he started it. Over 600, a little over 600 when the floods came. Then we have the scripture, you don't have to turn there, but Genesis 3, Genesis 6 and verse 3, that says, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, 
for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. So I'm thinking, okay, this, this event went on 100, 120 years, I don't know, but for sure, but at least a, process, a period of time of building that ark. And after 120 years, God says, basically, the jig is going to be up for mankind. That's it. Now, you can imagine, as, this, as he started building the ark, the mockery, you know, nutty Noah. I mean, here's this guy building an ark on a hillside, and it's not raining. And when I talk about living by faith, the continuation of even though you're mocked, even though you're made fun of, you keep doing what, you're know, what you know you're supposed to be doing. That's tough sometimes. And this went on and on every single day. Again, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. There was no rain yet. And yet he kept up the work. He kept doing the thing God wanted him to do. Sometimes it's hard to live by faith, to keep doing the thing that you know God wants you to do. In the face of, you know, criticism, in the face of whatever may come your way, to keep doing the thing. Now, one of the things I thought was interesting was that Noah probably, and I never thought about this before, I don't know why, but Noah probably subbed out some of his work. I used to think, okay, you know, seven people built this whole thing. But there, there's no reason why, you know, as part owner, owner of a business, we sub out work sometimes. So if there were people good at steel work, craftsmanship, setting beams, he might have got them to help build the ark. Subbed out, you know, labor, whatever. But I got to thinking about that. And I don't want to say it was funny, but, it, but I thought, okay, when the waters came and the floods began to rise and some of those people, maybe floating on a log, could watch that boat pass by and say, hey, I helped build that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, just uh, that's a weird thought, but, you know, probably so. Um, shouldn't laugh about that, but that's, that's, that's probably a reality there. Those who do not learn the lessons of history are bound to repeat them. What was so bad about these people? What was so bad about these people? Well, in Genesis 6 and verse 5, tells us what they were like. Genesis 6 and verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's what was so bad. I sometimes wonder, are we any better or any different? You know, I mentioned that in that ark, they had an area that was illustrated visually and with words, the pre-flood world. And it was almost disturbing to walk through that, to see some of the imagery. Infant sacrifice. And you might think, well, hey, we don't have to worry about that. Well, we uh, murder 3,000, there's 3,000 abortions every day in America. 3,000 every day in America. There was imagery, you know, well, not imagery, not graphic, but you got the picture that drunken orgies, sexual immorality, 
once I heard that America was one of the biggest exporters of pornography. I don't know if that's still true, but, but I heard that one time. We're good at making porn. I'm quite sure God is going to bless us for that. I'm just kidding. No. It's not going to be a blessing. It's going to be a curse. And then it was portrayed the crime, how bad the crime had gotten. Pre-flood world. Crime everywhere. And yet, if you look at the FBI crime clock today, a rape every, what, two minutes? A murder every so many seconds? You know, are we really any different? How different are we today? You know, the scripture, you don't have to turn there. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1. This know also that in the last days, and I'm going to come back and, and talk a little bit about what Jesus said about the last days and how he compared it to the days of Noah. I'm going to get to that later. But this also know that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, trady, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. As rotten as these people are, <laughs> they have a form of godliness. What is that form? Well, it goes something like this, I imagine, saving the planet. Well, you know, we've got to, we've got to hug a tree, whatever, you know, we've got to save the planet, save all the animals, save the spotted owl, save the whale, save everything, you know. Have you ever seen those commercials on TV? And, and I'm not knocking, I mean, cruelty to the animals I know should never be. I'm not a cruel person, never have been. But you see these commercials about the little dog, the, you know, the ragged looking dog and, and how we need to, you know, all, you know. And I understand we shouldn't be cruel, but it, to me, that is so hypocritical when you say, okay, yeah, but we abort 3,000 children a day, potential children of God. I mean, yes, we should not be cruel to animals. But the comparison, in other words, we are a hypocritical nation, is the bottom line. Are we any different today? Did you know that human nature does not change? Well, there is one exception. If you have the Spirit of God, it can change, but only under those circumstances. But for the most part, human nature does not change. Now consider what this verse tells us. 2 Peter 2 and verse 5. 2 Peter 2 and verse 5. <clears throat> 2 Peter 2 and verse 5. Speaking of Noah, And spare not the old world, but save Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah is referred to as a preacher of righteousness. He preached over a hundred years. How did Noah preach? Did he, did he nail a podium like this on the front of that boat? No, I don't think so. The preaching was actually the building of the ark. It was a powerful witness to the world. And here's this guy building an ark. That was part of the, and, and I'm sure Noah said, the reason this judgment is coming upon earth is that man 
is this, it's a sin-sick society. It's going to be destroyed by water. Just the building of the ark was a powerful witness to that society. That's, and this went on, you know, 100 years. And Noah had seven converts, eight including himself. You know, when I think about that story, I don't feel so bad that, okay, what I do, if, is that really in the Bible? You know, the year before last at Myrtle Beach, I baptized two people. This year, I laid hands on a, a man and his wife who had been baptized, but they wanted to have hands laid on them for the receiving of the Holy Spirit. So I'm thinking, okay, I got four. <laughs> I got four. So this, I don't feel so bad. Well, you know. Oh yeah, you got all. Oh yeah, right. God works in families, I believe. Um, but the absolute lack of response to the truth is what I'm dealing with. Now I didn't say lack of response toward religion. People can't get enough of religion. They just can't. They can't get enough of religion. You know, church six days a week, twice on Sunday. You know, all this stuff, singing in the choir. They can't, but I'm talking about a lack of response to God's truth. It's, it's disturbing to see. It's disturbing when you see, okay, a man preached 100 years. He's got seven converts. Lack of response toward the truth. Like God expects you to obey him. Like God expects you to love him. And this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Unless you repent and turn from your sins, you know, God expects... Yeah, obedience. He expects you to obey him. Noah preached the truth. He had seven converts. Human nature doesn't change. There is nothing new under the sun. How many, now think about this. How many people wanted saving once the flood began? Yeah. Now there's, a, there's something that ties into our society and religion here. Because these people, they, they heard Noah's message. They saw the ark being built, 100 years. They heard him say, you know, the reason this is coming is because God's going to destroy the earth because of its sin. They heard that. But how many of them wanted saving once the, the flood began? Well, yeah, all of them. Now, think about it. They did not want a relationship with God, but they did want saving. Does that ring a bell today? Does that ring a bell? How many people want saving when they realize they're going to die? Deathbed repentance, okay? Well, it's a, I mean, there's, there's some parallels here to the ark and people wanting, you know, to get, you know, yeah, I need to get saved now. Human nature does not change, is my point. Now, this is, our parents had an old, I mean, this thing is old. This is an old camera here. Can't figure out how to open it either. But it does open up. Look at this. There we go. Look at this. Um, you know, if you take a snapshot of a person, you know, in school you had the albums, the first year, second, third, fourth, fifth. You know, I think we ought to continue, once we get out of school, you ought to continue doing that. Every year, take a snapshot of you. And then you can go back and look at it. I say, boy, I've changed. Uh, <laughs> but you know, 
As we look at the story of Noah, we take a pictures are an image frozen in time. We take a picture of Noah and the days of Noah. You know, in land, with landscape, if you take a picture of landscape and then 30 years come back and set the tripod up and take the exact location, often you can't tell it because the landscape has changed so drastically. I think in my aunt's home, uh, Aunt Ruth, you know, it was an old farmhouse. And if you were to go there today and look at that place, you wouldn't recognize it because it's a subdivision there. You would not, you know. So usually over a period of time, things change. Do they not? They change. People change. Landscape change. But let's notice this snapshot in Matthew 24 and verse 37. We have an image, a snapshot of that Christ tells us about. Matthew 24 and verse 37. It says, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Whereas in the days of Noah, they were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. That's disturbing. This snapshot image we have back then in the days of Noah and a snapshot image that we have when Christ returns. And man hasn't changed a bit. Nothing's changed. The response toward a preacher of righteousness, the response toward the truth, nothing has changed. Of all the things that Jesus could have said, he could have said, why, why you've got, you're doing, okay, you're not perfect, but you're doing pretty good. You've got 450,000 churches that dot your landscape. You've got 650,000 preachers in America. And, you know, this is God's country. This is God's nation or whatever. He could have said something. But to compare us to the days of Noah? I mean, I guess he could have said your Christianity hasn't worked. Maybe he could have said that. Of all the comparisons, you're just like, you haven't changed a bit. That's what he says. You know, someone said that's the worst thing you can say to a person. Our egos like it as far as looks. But to say your character hasn't changed a bit, that's a put down. And he could have just said, Jesus could have said, you haven't changed a bit. Disturbing. Nothing has changed. Wicked, evil, corrupted. Human nature doesn't change. Man's response toward God doesn't change. Man's response toward a minister telling you the truth doesn't change. For as the days of Noah were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. Now, it's not that these things are bad, eating and drinking and marrying. You know, it's not that, well, drinking in moderation, I should say. But <laughs> it's not that these things are bad. It's just that they lived their lives totally oblivious to what was really important. And that is a relationship with God. A life surrendered to God. They just live their life. They're just human beings living their lives. Not really considering what's really important in relationship with God. And God could have said to these people, this snap, snapshot image that we have, you haven't changed a bit. Those who do not learn the lessons of history are bound to repeat them. 
human nature and the way of man is destined to fail again. God has allotted mankind 6,000 years. You know, to do his own thing. To prove that his way, void of unconditional surrender and receiving the Spirit of God, will not work. To me, that's... When I think of what Jesus says, it's sort of... That's disturbing to me, to compare us to the days of Noah when he returns. That's the comparison that he chooses to give us. If I didn't know better, and I do know better, I would be disturbed. If I was just mainstream and thinking, oh boy, that's the comparison that he makes? We're just we're that wicked, that rotten, and that messed up. Now, let me give you the good news for mankind. The good news is this. In John 12 and verse 47, John 12 and verse 47, this is the best news that you're going to hear. This is great news, what I'm about to tell you right here. And I, I'm, most Christians don't get this. They don't get it. But this is the best news you can hear. Words of Jesus. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world. Let's stop right there. Two parts to this. I'm going to get to that last part later. First part. If any man hear my words and doesn't believe them, I don't judge him. Didn't come to judge the world. So, you know, somebody, some people are concerned, and you should be about your family, you've got a brother, a sister, a wife, a husband, a wife, you know, a son, daughter, family members you're concerned about, who might say, you know, I, look, religion's okay for you. That's okay if you want to believe in God, but I'm not interested, I'm not, that's not for me. I don't give a rip about God or religion. Any man hears my word, doesn't believe it, not judging him. That's the best news you can hear. That's the absolute best news you can hear. I didn't come to judge the world right now. <laughs> now, what sounds like a contradiction is the next phrase. I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. That almost sounds like a contradiction. Now, the reason it sounds like a contradiction, let me explain why that sounds like a contradiction to me. Listen closely. Let these words sink deep into your ears. <laughs> you cannot have true salvation unless you have entered into judgment with God. You're being judged by God's standard of morality, the Ten Commandments. You cannot have salvation unless you have entered into judgment with God. Now, I didn't say you couldn't be religious. You just can't be saved. Until you have entered in to, to God's judgment, you're being judged by God's standard of morality. And for you folks, that describes you. And it ought to make you, <laughs> it ought to make you really consider what's going on in your personal life. You're being judged. If God has called you, if you are one of the first fruits, you're being judged today. Okay. By God's standard of morality. Ten Commandments. 
You see, God saving the world is not so much about human nature, man's response toward God, man's response toward a minister, giving you the mess. It's about God's timing. God saving the world is about God's timing. God is now calling a first fruit, and those first fruits have entered into judgment with God. All right. The rest of the people are not being judged right now. That's what Jesus said. He said, I didn't, I didn't come to judge them. I'm not judging the world right now. Now, if he were judging the world right now, we'd all be dead. <laughs> you better be thankful that he's not judging the world right now. We'd all probably be dead if, we, if God's judgment was right now. But he is calling a first fruit. And they have entered into judgment with God, being judged by God's standard of morality. 1 Peter 4 and verse 17. 1 Peter 4 and verse 17 tells us about God's calling and the first fruits. 1 Peter 4 and verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? Speaking to the first fruits, and you better realize that, yeah, you are that this judgment is something that's occurring in your life right now. You know, that's something serious to, 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 to not overlook that and not turn away and not realize what's going on. What does it mean? To, what does it take to enter into judgment with God? Number one, a calling from God. Number two, the awareness that you are being judged right now. I, mean, I don't know, if you ask most Christians, do you realize you're, you're being judged right now by, the law, by God's standard of morality? I don't know what they would say. If you've got a theology that says the law has been abolished, been nailed to the cross, been fulfilled, been done away with, then how can you enter into judgment? How can you be judged by God's standard of morality? You can't, if that's your theology. Oh, the law has been abolished, it's been nailed away. Well, you can't be judged by God's standard of morality. You, you can't enter into judgment with God if that's your belief system. But I didn't say you couldn't be religious. You can talk all the religion in the world. Yeah, it's great to know the Lord. and The Lord just healed Bertha Butt's big toe. Praise Jesus. You can have all that religion. But that's not, I'm talking about entering into judgment with God. How many Christians even know that? that, that I mean, that, that's, what it, that's what true salvation is. Number, uh, next one is the conviction of sin. To enter into judgment, you've got to have a conviction of sin. You've got to know what sin is, including the fourth commandment. All right? And you've got to know what God's standard of morality is, because that's what you're going to be judged by. And you have to have an awareness of the grace and that there is no condemnation when you fall short, the grace of God. You got to click because that's what it means to enter into judgment with God. You got to be aware of that. You see, when Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world, but to save it, saving it, God paved the way for mankind to be saved. How? By dying for our sins. He paved that way so that humanity could be saved. The illusion that religious people get into is that He's doing it, He's trying to save everybody right now. That's the illusion. They jump ship at that point. The saving of the world, the saving of humanity, is a future, my, my belief, is a future event after Christ returns to set up his kingdom, and especially during, during the second resurrection. 
I think Jesus could have just as easily said, I didn't come to save everyone right now. When he talks about not, not judging the world right now. I didn't. If any man hear my word and believe not, I don't judge him. Well, I'm an atheist, not judging him. Well, I'm an agnostic, not judging him now. Well, I don't even believe in God, not judging him now. Didn't come to judge the world. I came to pave the way so humanity, humanity could be saved. How? By dying for our sins. How many altar calls did Jesus have? None that I know of. He said, I didn't come to judge the world. Now, look at this verse. 1 Peter 2 and verse 4. This is encouraging. Very encouraging. 1 Peter, 1 uh, Peter, not Peter. 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. This is beautiful. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you believe that? <laughs> Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Wow. That is a powerful, powerful concept. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 4. This process, I believe, involves the return of Christ. It involves the second resurrection that the Bible refers to as the rest of the dead. Now, let's consider this, the judgment of the flood. The judgment of the flood was a physical judgment. God got fed up with sinning mankind. Sodom and Gomorrah was a physical judgment upon sinning mankind. He got fed up with that type of perversion. But it's not an eternal judgment. It's not an eternal judgment. The flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, it's not eternal. God knew that he would resurrect those people who were wiped out by the flood. And they would live again. God knew that. And be given their first chance for salvation when the rest of the dead are raised. I think a lot of times religious people don't understand the concept of judgment. You know, they, they think of judgment as they got a guy standing on a trap door, hell below, smoke oozing up to the trap door. They have God the Father reading through all the evil deeds he's done and then pulling a lever and shoom, that's judgment. Burnt to a crisp. You know, this whole experience of the ark encounter has helped me to understand this verse in John 5 and verse 29. I'm going to have to explain it because it uses a word that I probably should not use. Uh, I'd rather the word, you know, uh, instead of damnation, the word judgment. But a lot of translations do use the word judgment. John 5 and verse 29. John 5 and verse 29. And shall come forth... They that have done good unto the resurrection of life. That's the ones is, God is judging right now. They're going to come forth in the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. The word better rendered would be judgment. In fact, I'll, I'll look at another translation right here in a second. But when I think about how a lot of religious people look at this, you know, here you have... All these people that, that Jesus said, I'm not judging them right now. How many is that? Eh, probably 80, 90 percent. 
where God says, I'm not judging, judging these people right now. And so they come up in the resurrection, and then they're judged guilty and sentenced to death. Burn for all eternity. That's Christian concept there. So you have all these people who are not being judged right now. They come up in a resurrection, they're judged guilty, and they burn for all eternity. Now, that's, that is not the way I look at it. It's not the way I look at it. I look at this as a judgment period of time. Another translation says, And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done ill unto the resurrection of judgment. It's a judgment period of time, probably a hundred years, according to Isaiah 65 and verse 20. Isaiah 65 and verse 20. I didn't. You can look at that one up for yourself. <clears throat> but Isaiah 65 and verse 20 for a reference to that hundred years. But it's a judgment period of time. And so when I look at this, and they shall come forth, they that have done good, those that were judged now unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of judgment. The reason they come up in this resurrection is because they were never judged in this life. And so they come up in a resurrection of judgment and are going to be judged then. Now there's good news and bad news. Bad news first. <laughs> Mankind will self-destruct again. Just like in the days of Noah. No getting around that one. Good news. God is going to keep his promise. He is going to set his hand to save the world. And just like in the days of Noah, you know, the, yeah, that's bad. But afterwards, there is a rainbow of salvation for mankind who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. All those who don't come to the knowledge of truth at this time, God says, I'm not judging them right now. I'm going to save him when the time is right, and that is during the second resurrection, a judgment of resurrection, a period of time, probably 100 years, where people will have their opportunity. And, you know, here's the bottom line. As I had this whole experience of the flood, considering the flood, considering Noah, the, the ark encounter, how that God saved eight, eight compared to how many were, you know, okay, eight. And then Jesus' example of using, using that illustration at the end time, that man hasn't changed a bit. Man hasn't changed a bit. But it's really encouraging for me to look at that verse and, and to realize, for the most part, God is not judging humanity. If any man hear my words and believe not, I'm not judging him. I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world, to pave the way so that mankind could ultimately be saved from their sins.